Um, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 and really focusing on uh, the humble situation like surrounding the birth of Christ. And uh, hopefully uh, we will be able to see uh, in our own lives areas where we need to grow in humility, but also um, be able to just savor what Christ has done and the magnitude of it. Um, I think it is important to remind ourselves of how the eternal Son of God came to this earth. Um, It's uh, interesting in our world when we, uh, someone is coming of great importance, whether that be to our home or to a city or or something like that, you think about what people uh, do to get prepared for it. I mean, there are a number of, one of my favorite TV shows, uh, the Andy Griffith Show, uh, a number of those where uh, they decide whether someone's coming to town or whether or not like they're going to just celebrate. Some, the, the, the one time I think they did one of the shows where they said like the first come person that came down uh, the road, they were going to stop them and they were going to be the day, uh, the person celebrated that day in Mayberry and they brought them into town and there was this big kind of show that went on. But it was interesting all the time in the Andy Griffith Show when this goes on, There'll be some kind of parade or people will gather and line up, the, you know, across the street and, or, and wait for that person. And there'll be cheering and there's all these things that they do and they have meetings to prepare for this great event. And we think about that and we see that kind of on display. Sometimes in our world, uh, we'll see that on certain times when Hollywood gets together for something and people will, they'll have this um, preparation done everything will be just right and as the people show up they're looking at what they're wearing and everybody's prepared and they're talking about it and so there's all kinds of ways that we celebrate the coming of someone and uh, and like I said it may just be very small it may be even your own house maybe somebody in your family you say when they show up we get prepared and there may be 10 different reasons why you do that um, we live in a world where um, the influential, the rich, the powerful seek to make a name for themselves. And so they sometimes uh, do things to make sure that, that they are doted over and people think greatly of them. Uh, sometimes they make much of the place that they live. Sometimes they will uh, build some specific thing to their name. And so they're trying to kind of build their, their name, their influence, their power in the eyes of others. Sometimes you even read about people who will compete with one another and they're very wealthy and powerful. And so this person will build this and the next person will build something bigger. And then they compete with one another to show each other how great they are. Um, Again, this is done on a smaller scale. Uh, Sometimes um, there are people who will say they want to be made much of. And so you get around them and they try to make sure that you make much of them and um, you see it on display everywhere and so I would just say like I think in light of that we want to see Jesus coming and say this is counter cultural it's counter this world and maybe how should we live in light of that and how should we respond to it now So we could say Jesus' birth is the opposite of human wisdom. And I think that would be something helpful for you as you think about it today. So we're going to look at the humble nature of Jesus coming and lay that out. The first thing we'll see is the humiliating kind of situation of Mary and Joseph. Then the humble place of Jesus' birth. 
The third, uh, the humble people who received the announcement of his birth. And finally, uh, the visit of those humble people, the shepherds. How did they visit him and what did that look like? And I, I just, there's a couple of passages in scripture kind of speak to this. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, this is what we see. For I, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing or uh, nothing things that are, uh, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, we also have to ask him, do we ever, again, like thinking about this situation where he's saying uh, to the church in Corinth, many of you are, are really nothing in this world and God has chosen to bring the nothing and do something with it. And you kind of might look at your own life and you may have different views of it, but you may look at it and say, I understand that God took the nothing, the weak, the empty, the lowly, and he made something of it, not necessarily like in this world made something of it, but he took my life that was broken and he restored me. And we have to constantly go back to that because we have to say the true way in which you enter his kingdom is the way that he came. You enter into his kingdom by being humbly uh, laying your life down before him and saying, I come as a weak, wretched, lowly sinner in need of a savior. And that's how we enter into the kingdom. And I think throughout our lives, we have to keep going back to that because we need to be reminded of it. Uh, Because sometimes what happens is if you live long enough, maybe, and you start saying, well, I've worked at this job for 20 plus years, or I have this education and I've done this, I should get this kind of treatment. We have these kind of mentalities sometimes that we start saying, I'm entitled to this. Or you say, I've been in this family, I started this family for crying out loud, I should be listened to. Or you might meet someone and and they'll say, I've been at this church for 25 years. You know, like young pastors, they'll always warn them, say, you go there, like don't change too much stuff because you're going into a situation where these people have been there 25 and 30 years and they're going to say to you, look, you, you were not here when I came, you will not be here when I leave, keep your mouth shut. You know, and what is that? It's a sense of entitlement. It's a sense of kind of pride. I am the one who makes the decisions here. And so the picture here, I think, is is that the Christian life is one to be lived in humility as Christ is what we see here comes in this humble way. We're following him in his footsteps. Now, Jesus' disciples in the first century, just like his disciples today, me and you, struggle with that. Jesus' disciples had this sense of entitlement. They fought among themselves about who would be greatest in the kingdom. Even one of the mothers. You know, sometimes you'll meet a mother who likes to advance their children. You know, at some level, they love to control even their situation. And so you had like a mother that came and said, will you make sure they're on your right and left? You know, Put them in the place of honor. Kind of, and so you see that on display throughout the scripture. 
but, the, the, but Jesus calls us to follow again in his footsteps. And in Philippians 2, 5, it says, Have the, uh, this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the, to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I hope maybe like as we think about the Christmas season, about the Advent season, the coming of Christ season, that you would stop and consider what would that look like for me to rightly identify with my Savior during this season. It's the greatest visitation in all of history. God, the Son, the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, came to this earth and he came in the most lowly of situations and his life continued on that trajectory even to his death. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. This is the situation you could say surrounding the birth of Christ. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius uh, was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was uh, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now... One of the little books that we read often at night with the kids, it's a, it's a kind of a storybook Bible, I can't remember the title of it, but this is what it says. While Caesar, the king of the Roman world, was showing everyone how great he was by counting all of his people, God, the king of the universe, was showing the world how great he was by sending his son into the world as one of his people. I mean, and it's shocking. I mean, really, if you stop and consider God uh, coming down to that level to dwell among men, I mean, that, that, that should shock you, that he would come down. That not only, he, he's not coming down, he's cloaked in this humble situation. He's not coming down and saying, look who I am in the way that you would think. He's coming down in such a, obscure situation in this small town a nothing town it's so backwards everything about it's just like are you serious this is counter everything that i would ever dream of when god showed up so he leaves the glories of heaven to come down to earth now i want to read another passage you can write this down or mark it in your bible in isaiah 53 verses 1 through 5 Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, again speaking of Jesus, there's a prophetic uh, chapter here about him. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So uh, this is like, again, it's just such a, a backwards thing when you think about the way in which you would think, number one, would God actually come down? You would think, no. Would he come down to a broken uh, creation that is filled with darkness and sin? No. But then would he, how would he come if he did? Would he show up in a way that was like uh, he's taking, uh, taken over? But here he comes in the most weak form. He comes, he is born of a woman. He comes into a place to just totally and absolutely like shocking to us. Now, I, I think it's also just important to say that when Mary and Joseph are going to Bethlehem, they are going to travel, not in a great caravan of people. Well, I mean, they may have been in it with a group, but they're going to travel not like in this place of prominence, but likely she's nine months pregnant and they're walking and they're, they're, they're um, not only walking, maybe they may have a donkey if they could afford that. And they travel like 90 miles to go back from, from where they were from to go to Bethlehem. And so it's this long, uh, difficult journey. And not only that, just kind of thinking about the setting around their, the birth. Um, many people in that culture, because there was a, a strong commitment to uh, living in a way that would be God-glorifying in a holy way, in, in a, it, there, there was, it, it would be wrong for her to be bearing a child. Like she was pregnant, and that wasn't like a badge of honor like it is in some cult, you know, contexts, like even in ours often, where it's not saying like, look, I'm having a baby outside of being married. It's not something that would be like encouraged or, uh, you know, celebrated. And so they're in this situation, and you can imagine the more religious type that really love to beat people down, you can imagine what they're saying behind her back, right? She is pregnant with child, and she's not married. Now, the situation is so grievous that you know Joseph, uh, he, he's, not, he's a righteous man, and he is not wanting to, like, in any way uh, bring her shame he, he decides to secretly divorce her. He is, he's not married to her. And in that time they were betrothed and they, he would have to divorce her. But he says, I'm going to do that because she's been unfaithful. I've never been with her and now she's with child. Evidently, she's been unfaithful to me. That's the situation he was in. He did not want to hurt her in any way. And so he thought that's, what, that's, that's the case. Now, once he realizes the angel tells him, no, she's not unfaithful. She is with child by the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not like the whole culture goes, oh, by the Holy Spirit. It's all good. You know, like no big deal. No, I mean, it wasn't like that. And so he was embracing her and embracing the shame that came with that. And, and so the situation is that you can imagine people not wanting to be around them, not wanting their, you've heard people, I don't want my children to be around them, you know, or whatever. They, nobody wants to be around them. And so they're traveling on this long road. They're in this humble situation and they are like totally, probably, likely cut off from their family in many different ways. Or at least the people around them. Because the whole situation would not be looked upon rightly. And you're thinking, God orchestrated all of this. And He knows the humble situation that they are in. Now, I think that's important just to kind of get in your mind. 
you, you see that and you, it, it's kind of, it, it should move you to think, wow, this is just shocking. Now, you keep moving forward. The place of Jesus' birth. And we see this in verse 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lied him in a, in a manger uh, because there was no place for them in the end. So they've traveled this long distance, this long journey. They get to Bethlehem. The place is full. You know this story. Uh, there was no place for them to dwell or to be. And so they're going to have to go in uh, with the animals. At that time, it was likely with all the travel going on, they're going to go in this place. It, it, some people say it may have been a cave. Others say, well, the people kind of stayed up above and the, the people, I mean, the animals stayed below. But anyway, there were likely many donkeys there. It was a dirty, nasty, horrible place to have a baby. It's not like your local hospital. I mean, it's not a good situation. And she's having this baby in that place, and, and it's stinky, and it's cold, and it's dirty. And this is the creator of the universe coming down to his creation, and you see him in this most humble place. And so I want to read you uh, from Andrew Peterson's song, Labor of Love, uh, uh, just a little different picture than what we get sometimes when we're looking at a manger scene. It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman crying in the alleyways that night on the streets of Davidstown. And the stable was not clean, and the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace with the tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. Noble Joseph at her side, callous hands and weary eyes. There were no midwives to be found on the streets of Davidstown in the middle of the night. So he held her and he prayed, shafts of moonlight on his face. For the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the faith that could make the mountains move. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. He continues, or he, he ends it with, it was not a silent night on the streets of David's town. So you're thinking about that. You're getting this picture in your mind and you're thinking, this is the most humble of situations. Not only has God come down, he is in the most humble of situations. Then you keep moving forward and you see, who would we announce this to? Again, like when, when um, my cousin just opened a restaurant and when they open the restaurant, they have these little emails they send out like VIP passes and they you know, invite, I guess, whoever they deem, I guess, important people and say, come to this restaurant and eat here. And uh, you, you think about that, like there are people that get invited to very important events. And, and there are things throughout our country and in different aspects of the world where you say there's these very important things and they're exclusive. Only the most prominent get in there. And so you kind of have this idea. And again, Jesus has someone visit him that is not what you would say the most prominent people uh, in the country at that time. So you see... Verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom he is pleased. So Jesus, again, you see in this picture another aspect of the kind of the humbling, if you will. Shepherds were not the most, uh, uh, they, they were not your like holiest people. They weren't known for that. They were not the most prominent people. They, they were really uh, people that, that in some ways you could think of them like uh, cowboys, kind of, when you look at the Old West. And, I mean, and not the ones that you see like perfectly dressed. I'm talking like living out on the range. Like a very tough life, a very uh, difficult life. Uh, often a very wild life. And that's kind of the situation that we, we come to here. One guy was saying that they, these, I mean, that I read this week, Hendrickson said that like, you know, we know Jesus' ministry was to the poor, the downtrodden, and those kind of people. And you see that throughout his ministry. And here you see this on display. He said that um, they were the most despised class of people at that time. At one time, Israel was known for being shepherds, but as, as they were more civilized than the shepherds, that was kind of given to, to the lower of class people. It, it was one of those things where when you, when you kind of think about it, uh, they were, and I heard them mention this in a study group today, uh, they dealt with death and blood and, 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 and all kinds of things that were just unclean. And really, uh, for the most part, often you would say, I don't even know if they could keep up with the laws, especially the man-made laws, so that the, the religious people and the prominent people would be like, keep those people away from me. They're dirty. They're nasty. Uh, we don't really like that type around us. And so that's kind of the type of people uh, that were there. Actually, I read this week, too, that they could not give testimony in courts because they didn't trust what they said. And so this is like not the people that you would think, let's announce this to. This is not the VIP class. This is not the class of people where you say, hey, this exclusive party is only for them. These are the last people on the list. These people don't make it on the list. And so you kind of see this, this kind of motley crew that they're they're being involved here. They're being brought in uh, to, to experience the king coming, the king of the universe coming. And now you also note in this text, um, the baby is wrapped in swaddling clothes and then he's put in a feeding trough. Jesus is placed in this place where the animals were eating. And so they kind of like pull, you can see them pulling that aside and dropping him in there. Again, it's not the most beautiful scene that you could imagine. I mean, sometimes uh, we even have one in our house where you have the scene in the manger there and the baby. You think, oh, it's so beautiful. And it's carved out of wood. And it's so wonderful and nice. And, and, but, but when you understand the situation, it's just shocking the way in which he came. The most deserving of honor is despised. Is, is laid aside and, and put away from all to really see. Then you see the visit of the shepherds when the angels went away from them 
The shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning them uh, this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they... Uh, for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, you see that again, the, the shepherds are going, they're going to go to this place, they're going to this makeshift hospital room, you might say. You can imagine it's in the middle of the night. Uh, I don't know if you ever have people that like stay up all night or call you in the middle of the night. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. Some people, that's their whole life is staying up all night. Uh, getting up late they kind of live in that kind of that that vein or whatever and really that's the the shepherds I mean they that's what they did a lot of times they had to stay up late at night and work the night and keep the the sheep from being attacked in the middle of the night and so their their lifestyle was different their their you know all that's going on but you can just imagine in the middle of the night them coming down the road and like showing up uh, I, I don't know what I would do if somebody showed up at like three in the morning knocking on the door but I guess they're awake the baby's just been born and they're coming in and they're examining uh, what's taking place but you know a- again they're not bearing gifts we're going to see that later but but at this time they're not bringing anything like oftentimes you'll you'll you know people if they come to see a baby they bring a gift with them they're not going to bring anything there. They're not going to clean up. They are just showing up and they are coming before uh, the sun. And so they, they will kind of, I think it's just important to note, like they're not the theologians of the day. They're not saying, oh, this is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. They are just uh, lowly shepherds and yet God involves them. Later we'll see. And just, you know, to, for you to just think about, we'll see Herod speak to the theologians. And when he asks them about it, they answer his question. And then there's no appearance that they're like excited about it or going forward. You think they don't act like the shepherds at all when they hear about the coming of Christ. And so I think it's important when you look at all that's going on in this story that you say, one of the things is that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to this earth. This is so shocking that we should stop and ponder like God came to us. We, we do get like, I think the longer we live, the more it's like, oh yeah, God came down. Oh yeah, Jesus, you know, we just throw it out there. But He came to us. He came and He gave Himself to us. He offered Himself to us. And He came in such a humble way. He became flesh. He became one of us. So that He could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So that He could walk the road of obedience to God. And then die the death that we deserve for our disobedience to God. That's what He did for us. Not only that, the situation is humble and humiliating. And I think it's important that we see that. That we understand that that situation is such that God works counter to the world. And sometimes I think when we think about our Christian lives or our Christian duty or our Christian lives, we'll sometimes forget that the road of humiliation is part of what it means to walk in the steps of Christ. 
If you're always thinking about me and about what I want, and it, it's difficult because we live in a world where in immediate, I can get what I want, I get what I want, I get what I want. And it's hard for us to understand that and to grasp this humble situation. I think sometimes too, sometimes we forget that we're the shepherds. Like we, we, we are those people, the lowly, needy sinners in need of a Savior to come. And that God is about bringing lowly, needy, broken uh, sinners to Himself. That's another aspect of this that we say, that's the people that entered into the kingdom over and over. Jesus said it's not those religious people who don't need repentance in their minds, right? It's It's not those, I've come to seek and save the lost. And I think it's important, again, that you remind yourself of that. Because sometimes the longer you are in the religious world, you can forget that you were the lost. And that you've been found. And you're still lost most of the time in this sense. That you're struggling with your sin and you're broken. And you're not really broken when you should be broken. We need to see that. I think also, we need to say to ourselves, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus won by losing. And the road to to Christian maturity is winning by losing. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Whoever holds on to his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's backwards. And so I think we have to constantly remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is not of this world. And last, I think we're to say, if we follow Jesus, then we will embrace humility, that we will serve, we'll give our lives in service, we will offer ourselves in service, and we'll seek to bless other people. And so I hope those things will help you as you think about the Christmas season. It is a wonderful time of year to celebrate. We do get to celebrate with our families and enjoy those times. And honestly, sometimes we forget what this is all about. We forget what the Christian life is all about. And hopefully in seeing that, you'll understand it more clearly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would transform us by it. I pray that we would see that this life is not um, about us being the most important or making the most of ourselves in it, but instead about serving you and serving others. And we pray you would do that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.